great to see you this morning. If you have a bulletin, want to encourage you to get out your sermon notes. Always good. There'll be some blanks to fill in. But more importantly than that, if God gives you a word, it's always important to write it down. I want to just kind of begin by saying it's good to have Chris and Taylor here and their family, uh, the Douglas family. Chris and Tara will always have a special part of our family here. It's really an honor. I know he's involved with the Oasis ministry down in St. Louis. They do a great job, and so it really is great to have them visiting with us today. Also, just kind of a little bit of a flashback. Last night, I got to do some family things yesterday, got home, and Drew Gradicke called me last night, and so Drew is kind of one of our kids raised up and went into ministry and he's out went into the foreign mission field out in California but he called me and we're just kind of reminiscing kind of catching up on different things and they now have two children going to school out there and just kind of talking about what's going on in life and Drew said to me and we're talking about kind of where we are what God's doing in our life and Drew said you know of all the schooling and and being a parent now of two children being a husband he said the one thing God is really teaching him right now is how to trust God. I thought that was kind of amazing because that's the same thing God is teaching me right now, 62 years old, just trying to get me to go back to that childlike faith. And so I said to him as we were talking, I said, well, you know, I'm 62 years old, been at this for a little while, and believe it or not, that's exactly what God is trying to teach me is how to have that childlike trust. And I think he thought he was going to get to graduate from that pretty quick. But, you know, after the middle service, we had a brother go out who was 85 years old, one of our members, and he said to me, I'm 85 years old, and God is still teaching me how to trust. You know, that's something we never really graduate from, but learning to trust God with that childlike faith. And so uh, we've been uh, talking about tittle with. Everybody say tittle with. And that stands for trust in the Lord with all thy heart. And so we spent a couple Sundays talking about the importance of laying a foundation of knowing God. Because the truth is, even though we talk about trust, until we really get to know God, it's really impossible to trust a God that you do not know. But the other part is also true that when you really get to know God, it's impossible to not trust him when you know that he not only loves us, but he actually likes us, that he really does love us. And once we fall in love and experience that love relationship, it's really easy to trust a God that you absolutely know that he loves you unconditionally. And so we spent a couple weeks talking about that, and Jesus gave us one of the most simple concepts of God, and that is that God is Father. And again, the very first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible, the very first recorded words, he said, I must be about my father's business. And throughout his ministry, he would often say, I'm only doing what I see the father doing. I'm only saying what I hear the father saying. He had such an incredible relationship to his heavenly father. But maybe nowhere clearer than when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and facing Calvary. And I can't even wrap my mind around everything that was going on there. But he addressed his father as Abba, Father. 
And again, Abba is a term that the rabbis would say that small children would use in referring to their, their father. Sometimes we might say daddy or dada, but it's a term that even adults could use. Here he's 33 years old, but he refers to the father as Abba Father. He had such a tender relationship, and through all the stress of Calvary, he still had that childlike faith in his heavenly Father. Nowhere was the trust of Jesus in his Father more clearly seen than when he went to Calvary. And even at Calvary, he would often refer to his Father. And so over the past couple months or so, probably a couple dozen times throughout the day, again, that word Abba, and again, it's not a term that we would use in the Western culture, but even today in Israel, as we've talked about, small children, if they lose their parents, you can hear them out in the marketplace saying, Abba, Abba. Still today, small children will refer to their father. And so when I hear the term Abba, to me, I think of a, the faith of a small child that just believes and trusts their father. And so probably a couple times every day over the past couple months, I've just, throughout the day, just stopped and say, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I trust you. And I picture myself as a small child just saying to my heavenly father, I know that you have this. And so it's really helped me. I know it sounds a little bit crazy, but to learn from children how we can trust our Heavenly Father. So I, I enjoy getting around small kids and their parents because, again, nowhere can we find trust more easily displayed than around small children who trust their Father. And so last week we talked about once we get to know God and know how much He loves us, then we can put faith in what he says to us. Because again, it's hard to, to have trust in his word if we do not know him. But once we get to know him, it's really easy to believe that what he says to us, we absolutely can trust. And so last week we talked about the children of Israel and one of the basic lessons God tried to teach them in that 40-year wilderness experience was how to trust every word. And really, throughout the Bible, that's one of the basic lessons of the Christian life is we absolutely can trust everything God says to us. And so in Deuteronomy 8, from last week, God said he wanted them to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man can live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That was one of the basic lessons that they were to learn in the wilderness experience, learning how to trust God. And so I woke up one morning a couple weeks ago, and I had this kind of thought, this analogy, that the Christian life is a lot like an airplane ride. How many of you remember your first airplane ride? All right, it's funny how we remember that. I was 16 years old and my dad, I don't know why, my dad let me and a friend of mine who was 16 years old fly out to California. I'm not even sure he prayed about that, but he put us on the plane and that was so long ago, we didn't have smartphones, we didn't have Google, but I should have done a little bit of research. I just thought everything was gonna be really, really smooth. I mean, I thought, man, this is gonna be awesome. And so we got on the plane, I can still remember, we were sitting over one of the wings and we hit some turbulence. And almost every flight has turbulence, at least 
least I've come to realize that some is worse than others. Now, as a 16-year-old, when I saw that wing flapping out there, all of a sudden I began to pray up, make sure things were right with God. But I thought that wing flapping, and I just I first thought, thought came to my mind is I wonder if this plane can get by without one wing. You know, I didn't know how it worked. But I, I didn't understand turbulence, but we got out there, had a great time out in California. And again, we did, uh, we're 16 years old. We just got our license. Uh, we got out there. We didn't have a car. Some days we hitchhiked down to the beach. And I remember getting picked up by, I would call them hippies. But anyway, I picked up in a milk truck and they took us down to the beach. We were probably, by the grace of God, we survived California. And then his brother, they had one of those Volkswagen bugs, I call them, those little, they were, they're like, like a big goat cart but his brother had one of those and he said to us can you guys drive a stick shift and without even saying without even batting an eye we said absolutely we can drive a stick shift <laughs> and so his brother gave us that Volkswagen bug a couple days and we were just shaking all over California just driving all over but we had a good time but I realized that that almost every air air, airplane ride has some turbulence it just kind of comes with the territory but I did do some research just the last couple of weeks or so that turbulence very seldom will turbulence end in a fatal situation. I mean, they, they're built for turbulence. And so, uh, by the way, they say of, uh, I think back in 2017, only 17 people were injured by turbulence in the whole year in, in the United States. Of the 294 million people that fly, only 17 got slightly injured by turbulence. How many of you know you got a good chance to make it even though things are turbulent? Well, you know, life is a lot like an airplane ride. Life has some turbulence, and some is greater than others. And I just want to remind you of a couple verses in the Bible that remind us of that. First of all, from Job chapter 14, and if anyone understood turbulence, it was Job. And I like how the complete Jewish Bible has it. Let's read together. A human being born from a woman lives a short, trouble-filled life. How many of you think that's kind of a summary of your life? It's short, trouble-filled, a lot of turbulence going on. Even Jesus said in John 16, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, life is going to have its turbulence. I think God built us to endure turbulence. But in an airplane, as I was kind of thinking about that, there are several ways we can fly, mainly two ways, but there is a third way. We can either fly first class, and I love how in Isaiah it says, I will trust and not be afraid. That's first class. When we have so much trust in our Abba, our Heavenly Father, that literally when turbulence comes, we will not be afraid because we're trusting in Him. Second class, and by the way, first class, how many of you think, I think it's cruel that they make you walk through first class to get back to coach. They could have that thing where you come in the back and never know what you're missing. But how many of you kind of, with your jaw dropped open, just kind of dream and fantasize about one day flying first class? I mean, it's amazing how much room they have up there. It's crazy. There's enough room for three people in one little cubbyhole. But anyway, they have all this room you have to walk through. Well, coach, which I know a lot more about, coach, as, as David wrote in Psalms 56, 
David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. That's, that's kind of the second best, not bad, but I'd rather go first class when that is, I will trust and not be afraid. But coach is that when I do get afraid, I'm still going to put my trust in you. That's still pretty good. How many of you have ever had some experience? And by the way, most coach, and they keep putting more seats in the same amount of room. How can they do that? They do it by giving you six inches less. I, I need about at least another couple inches, all right? And so they don't build coach for six, two people. I've noticed that. And the other way we could fly is cargo. Now, most people have, and by the way, I have, been, I have got an education today because I've been educated in both of the first two services. Somebody who's in the military has gone out and they have said to me in both services, I have flown cargo. That's how they make us fly in the service. Everybody flies cargo, so I have an education on that. But most people on a normal flight do not fly cargo. Now they do put your pet, or they used to put your pet on cargo, and I've been told they pressurize it, they try to give it some kind of a heat stable, but even now a lot of them are letting your pets fly up in coach, up in coach. But anyway, I see an old boy here kind of stressed out. He's got a, a backpack on. How many of you would go on an airplane ride with your backpack on? I mean, you wouldn't need to because they have places to put all that baggage. And so there's three ways we can fly and three ways we can live the Christian life. We can either fly first class, which again says, I'm going to trust in you and not be afraid. Or we're going to fly coach and say, when I do get afraid, I am going to kick my trust in. That's still, that's still pretty good. Or we're going to fly cargo and we're just literally going to be stressed out. I did Google, by the way, and that's a good way to get information. I Googled and said, what are the chances of flying cargo and surviving? And, and up came one of the answers, not a good idea. Not a good idea. All right. So for the most part, what we put our pets through, we would not want to fly cargo. All right, so let's kind of first of all talk about cargo. I think the disciples struggled a lot. They were very stressed out in life. And so they, they kind of lived the life in that cargo mode. They were always stressed. They had a hard time putting their trust in, their, in, in God. Let's give an example here. In Mark chapter 4, they were in a storm. They were in some turbulence. And isn't it interesting how often the disciples were in turbulence? Because we too are in turbulence like they. And so Jesus says to his disciples in Mark chapter 4, let us cross over to the other side. Now, if Jesus said we're crossing over to the other side, what were their chances of making it to the other side? A hundred percent. They were going to make it. How many of you like to believe if we were in that boat and the storm came up and Jesus said we're crossing over, how many of you would like to believe that we would be singing victory in Jesus? I would like to think that. I would like to think that. I would probably be more like the disciples. And so they got out there and the Bible says a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was filling. You know, they were in the middle of God's will because Jesus put them in the boat. He was in the boat with them. Now, I, I do think it's possible that God can send a storm if we're out of his will, like Jonah. But sometimes, right in the middle of God's will, turbulence comes. I wish, you know, I, I, wish I could say that life was, was turbulent-free, but we know that's not real life. But when turbulence comes, do we put our trust in God do we fear or do we stress out? 
The disciples, unfortunately, like many times, they were stressing out. But Jesus, it's interesting that Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Now I asked myself, how can you sleep during turbulence? But I found, since I have flown a few more times, that even in turbulence, even though while I'm still holding on to the armrest, like that's gonna help, and how many of you know it's comforting when you're flying over water? They always come up at the beginning and say, we want you to know your seat is a flotation device. <laughs> I want to know where the parachute is, amen? I mean, nobody survives if that thing hits the water. Nobody's going to survive. You're not going to need your seat cushion. But anyway, Jesus is asleep. I mean, he is relaxed. And sometimes even now flying, I, I still during turbulence, I'm at least awake, but I look around and I see people sleeping. How can they sleep during turbulence? Because they fly a lot. They're used to the turbulence. They know that it's gonna be okay. And so Jesus was asleep and they awoke him and said, don't you care that we're perishing? What was their stress level? It was very, very high. Even though they were completely safe, they were very stressed. They were very much in cargo mold, all right? And so Jesus says to the sea, peace, be still. And this is actually a, a picture of the Sea of Galilee when it's pretty, pretty calm. And then he goes on to say, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He was surprised that they weren't trusting him. But the truth is that sometimes in life, I find myself stressed out. I find myself living in that cargo mode and not trusting God on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, how do we know if we're, if we're living this thing in the cargo mode? Let me give you just a few just observations. Number one, I think we're living in that, that cargo mode if we have a feeling of being overwhelmed by life circumstances. If you're consistently overwhelmed by what you're facing in your daily life, you're probably living in the cargo mode. And life can be very, very stressful. I'm just being honest. Life can be overwhelming so often. Number two, if we find ourselves murmuring and complaining, the children of Israel, one of their problems in the wilderness, they began to murmur and complain when turbulence came. And it's interesting that God heard them murmur in their tents. And it displeased God that they were murmuring and complaining. Because when you murmur and complain, literally what we're saying to God is, we don't trust you. We don't, we don't believe that you have this thing figured out. And so we begin to murmur and complain. So we got to be careful not to do that. Number three, our stress level stays above a nine. Now, God has created us to have some turbulence. And they say that some stress is good. We need some stress. And so a two or three is probably healthy. But when your stress level gets up to a nine and stays up there, you are ready to explode. How many of you have ever saw someone that just went off at the slightest thing? And you say, why in the world would that set them off? Well, when you're living at a nine, everything you hit is going to take you to the top. And it's going to stress you out. Friday, Brenda and I, were, we were actually coming up to church. And our subdivision got a new roundabout as we come out of our subdivision. Those roundabouts are pretty awesome. So now we don't have to stop. We just slow down and we just kind of get into the flow of traffic. And so the roundabout has worked really, really well for the most part. And so I've, you discover that the roundabout works where once you get in the circle, you have the right of way. 
Once you're in the circle, they have to yield to you. And so the goal is get in the circle as quick as you can so you have the right of way. And so we came down. There wasn't anybody to the left, so we got into the circle, and we were coming around, and there was a car coming the other way, and we both were going to get to the same point at the same time. But I was in the circle. I had the right of way. She apparently did not know how roundabouts work. She thought she had the right of way, and so we were both going to join together. And so I did hesitate just a minute, but she did stop finally, stopped her nose, with it, and I went around. And Brenda, who does not read lips, read her lips. <laughs> she thought she had the right of way. And so I went around. She thought she had the right of way, and she said something unkind. She was in cargo, very stressed, very stressed. Now, kind of beyond, I grew up in St. Louis. There's only two cars in the roundabout, two. If there should not be any stress, it should be two cars in a roundabout. That woman should not ever go to St. Louis, ever. But anyway, so I, she did, she did stop. I knew she was going to stop. So I went on around, and Brenda looked over at her, and she was probably... 70-ish ish at some gold. But anyway, so she said something unkind. Brenda read her lips. And so I went around, and I was heading to church to praise Jesus. I was heading to church. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, and she is speeding up behind me. I've never, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm having flashbacks of St. Louis. She's speeding up behind me. I mean, she's on a mission. Hold that wheel. She gets up behind me at the stop sign. I was at the stop sign by the storage lockers over there. I got in the stop sign, and I did wait a little bit longer than I should. I did wait. <laughs> I admit, I was, I just looked up, I was kind of, and I looked in the rearview mirror. She was honking. And I had this initial thought. I wonder if I could get out and invite her to church. Or get out and just talk to her. I thought, I need a good sermon illustration. But I had this thought, this moment, you know, everything was happening just really, really quick. I had this thought is, she's probably a grandma packing heat. I will get shot, I will get shot, and the story will be told from her how everything happened. Now, I thought, well, man, if I could go back and laugh about it, which I probably wouldn't have happened. But if we could have laughed about it, I would have invited her to church. But if she would have got mad, I would have told her I'm the pastor at the Methodist church. I would not have, I would not have thrown you guys under the bus. But Brenda, finally, Brenda with wisdom goes, get going, move on. <laughs> so anyway, I was just, I was playing with it too much. So anyway, I made a right, she was right behind me all the way around. When we got up to Highway 50, I made a right to come to church. She went straight. I thought she might follow us all the way to church and we have an incident out on the park. But you know, stress, when you're living under stress, stress, you just do some crazy things. I mean, when you're living under that stress, when you're, when you're flying cargo, I mean, you're just, you're, you're, you're BBs out of nine all the time. That's not healthy. But you know, I just want to say, as I've been thinking about the air, airline, whether you're flying first class coach our cargo, the truth is you're all going to get there. 
I want to tell you with confidence, if you're born again and know Jesus Christ, you're going to make it to the other side. Some of you are going to enjoy the trip. Some of you are going to have clenched fists. Some of you are going to be in cargo all stressed out. But we're all going to make it to the other side. Wouldn't it be better to enjoy the journey and, and the turbulence that comes to be able to trust God? And if we don't trust God, we're really going to stress out. Number four, you know that we're traveling cargo when we spend just your time in prayer and the Word has lessened. You know, when you quit praying and quit spending time in the Word, that's saying that you have a lot of confidence in yourself. That's not good. And so again, we can fly cargo. We're going to make it to the other side, but we're not going to really enjoy the journey. And then there's coach. And probably, I not only fly coach a lot physically, but I think in the Christian life, sometimes, how many of you have ever found yourself on the journey of life? Sometimes I'm in cargo, sometimes I'm in coach, and sometimes I'm in first class. I mean, I can go to all three on the same day. But I'm honestly trying, what God's trying to teach me is to have that childlike faith in my Abba to know that he so much cares about me that if any turbulence comes my way, it's ultimately for my good and for his glory. But that's a hard lesson sometimes to remember. And so, again, flying coach, and I'm going to use David. By the way, the book of Psalms, I believe, more than any other book of the Bible, mentions trust. And almost every time, it's David. About 68 times in the book of Psalms, talks about trusting God. And David, who had about as much turbulence as anybody, found that he could trust God. David says in Psalms 56, when I am afraid, I will trust in him. So David said, when I find myself fearful, I hit the trust mode. And that's good. That's good. That's much better than cargo. But wouldn't it be better to be in Isaiah and say, I will trust and not be afraid, but this is second best, that when I am afraid, I will trust in him. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures. By the way, on your notes, I've listed a lot of the scriptures from the Psalms, from David, who talks about trust. So in Psalms 4, let's read together. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Put your trust in the Lord. That would have been a good verse to share with the woman behind me. It's a good verse for me. And so David says, be angry, but do not sin. No, life is stressful. Life is turbulent. But relax, be still, and put your trust in God. Because again, this journey we're on, it's going to be turbulent. But the only way to really enjoy the journey is to keep our trust in God. One other scripture from David, Psalms 18. David says, and this was when David was being pursued by his enemies. And boy, David had a lot of turbulence. David said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. So we need to learn to put our trust in God. And so again, as I thought about Drew talking to me, I was amazed when he said that one thing God is working on right now in his life is to trust him. And here I am much, much later in life learning the very same thing and so I want to live every day and I know we're all going to make it but I want to enjoy the journey and so first class would be as Isaiah we've already talked about would be I will trust and not be afraid that's ideally 
how we want to live every day is by putting our trust in our Abba to know that he loves us, he likes us, and that any turbulence that comes our way is only for our good and for his glory. Here's one of my favorite verses from the book of Isaiah, and let's read it together. This is out of the English Standard Version. Join me. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Anybody here know anyone that could use some perfect peace? I mean, perfect peace. That means in the middle of all the turbulence, you have perfect peace because your mind is on him and you trust him. And so God is teaching me again with that childlike faith to trust my Abba, my Heavenly Father. I want to close with this last story, and this is another journey across the water. It's Paul heading to Rome, and they got into a tremendous storm. And if you remember, Paul told the captain not to sail, but he decided to sail anyway. And later, Paul said to him, I told you not to go. I mean, how many of you hate to hear I told you so? So anyway, they sail off, and the Bible says a terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars. And this is one of the saddest lines in the Bible, one of the saddest statements until at last all hope was gone. You know, when you lose all hope in life, that's that's sad. They had been out there and again raging in this storm, and the Bible says after three days they threw all their their tackle overboard trying to lighten the ship. The Bible says they went 14 days without anything to eat. I want to tell you, when you fast for 14 days, you're going through some severe turbulence. I mean, they were right in the middle of the storm, and God gave Paul a word. And here's the word that God gave to Paul. An angel of God said, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So in the middle of the turbulence, God said to Saul, Paul, you are completely safe. Now he either was going to take that and trust what God said, or again, he was going to stress out. Well, he chose to believe it, and in the middle of that storm, he says to those on board, Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. I want to just again remind you, in Philippians 1.6, it says, He who hath begun a good work in you will finish it. Your chances of going to heaven, if you're a born-again believer, are 100%. You're going to make it to the other side. He's given us that promise. And no matter what turbulence comes our way, we're either going to believe God and trust God, or we're literally going to stress out in cargo. I want to end by just reminding you of of something we've talked about for at least two of the Sundays. I just want to remind you that trust in God may not remove us from life's turbulence. Trusting in God may be, and by the way, I think there's a greater gift than being removed from the turbulence. I think the greater gift is in the middle of the turbulence to be able to trust God. That's the greater gift. So trusting in God may not remove us from life's turbulence. Number two, trusting in God may not ease the pain and suffering. You know, the people of God suffered. And I mean, even Jesus, it did not remove the suffering of Calvary. Sometimes we're going to go through some pain and suffering, but in the middle of that, if we trust our Heavenly Father, we're going to again know it's for our good and for His glory. Number three, 
Uh, trusting in God may not bring clarity and direction. I may not understand everything that's going on in my life. If someone comes and shares your story, I may not know what's going on in your life, but I do know that my Heavenly Father loves me. I know that I'm going to make it on the other side. And so even though I don't have understanding, I can still trust my Abba, my Heavenly Father. And finally, trusting in God may not bring a fairy tale ending on this side. And certainly it didn't for Jesus when he went to Calvary. That would not be a fairy tale ending on this side. But I do promise you on the other side, it's more than a fairy tale ending. That it will be worth it on the other side.